Hello, friends. Hopefully this audio will work out, but this is episode 18, and I am back with all things HEMA. This is episode 18, quote, Revenge of the Cranky Students, dun-dun-dun, quote. First, a word to our sponsors, Albion Armors, history in your hand. You know, if you're in the market for a sharp sword, I cannot fathom not at least thinking about ordering from Albion because they have a selection of excellent swords. I'll tell you, I own uh, about 16 of those beautiful weapons at this point. They make up the large majority of my collection, thankfully, because don't have any more wall space to put any more swords. But as I look at the collection that I have amassed, you know, you can just see the attention to detail. You can see the uh, historical uh, standpoint. You can see all those meticulous details maintained. And they have such an excellent, diverse range of these weapons that um, I'm just always impressed by any sword that I receive from them. So, like I said, Albion Swords, history in your hand. Please give them a thought. Check them out online. Also, I want to thank Umbrella Forge, uh, Jeremiah Bachhaus, who is the Forged in Fire champion, also used to live in Alaska, sort of, sometimes, not really. And then uh, also just one heck of a leader in the HEMA universe and a former student of mine and somebody who I'll also treat as a confidant and uh, just an excellent man. So if you want to have something forged by hand in fire, then Jeremiah Bachhaus is your man. You can reach him at umbrellaforge at gmail.com. This next person, Larry Brummond, with Larry Brummond, Brummond Setter's Honey, is like having a Wisconsin meadow crushed up and then placed into your mouth as it dissolves away and you taste all the beautiful i'm going off the rails with this one but uh basically uh he makes this local honey that has this certain sweetness to it this this certain flowery character to it that is unlike any honey i've had anywhere else larry uh, is also quite the naturalist and uh, really knows what he's doing so from what i understand Larry does not ship this honey anywhere. If you want this honey, you must contact Larry. And his contact information is not always easy to find. And I'm not going to give it on this podcast, so then there's that too. So there you go. Larry Brummond, Brummond Setter's Honey, like a Wisconsin meadow melting in your mouth. I just had some this morning with some of my uh, yogurt, and I'm, I'm just so impressed all the time I have some of that. It's, it's amazing. Also, Seth's Coffee is a uh, local coffee house based in Little Chute. Uh, it's on Main Street over by the large replica one-to-one scale Dutch windmill. Yeah, that's no kidding. Little Chute uh, got together and decided to build a full-scale windmill, which is actually working, and it's incredible too. So uh, Seth's Coffee's down there. Handcrafted coffee. I'm drinking some currently. Also located in Appleton, uh, hidden conveniently behind the History Museum, downtown Appleton. It's amazing. So let me taste a little bit right now, actually. Oh, that's delicious. 
So yeah, folks, welcome to episode 18. You know, I've been getting a lot of people contacting me that said, uh, you know, they missed all things HEMA. And uh, during the break, a lot of other podcasts have popped up. The HEMA Dad. Um, there's another one. Uh, what is it? Fighting by the Book, I believe. Uh, can't remember right now, but I believe it's that one. And uh, they indicated that uh, they really enjoyed all things HEMA and uh, were looking forward to more episodes and um, also used it as motivation for doing, the, doing their own HEMA podcast. So I uh, think that's great. And I think um, it's amazing that we have all these passionate, you know, interested parties wanting to put themselves out there and produce material and keep the community engaged. That's really what this art is, is about, frankly. So on to my title, Revenge of the Cranky Students. You know, inevitably, there are going to be situations in which, you know, the teacher... Um, and for lack of a better term, I'll just use this, this term, master of a school or club, etc., leader, teacher, instructor, master, provost, perhaps, of a school, just is not going to be able to get around or defeat personality differences, differences of p- opinion as far as lifestyle choices, etc., etc. And honestly, you know, I when I constructed... When I helped construct the HFA and some of its rank structure, a couple things went into that process that, that I've already discussed a little bit in this podcast, but I just want to bring out now as I talk about this issue of, of students leaving a particular master or a particular teacher, or a particular instructor, or a particular club, because currently that, that is happening here in the WHFA uh, from time to time. And even though it's happening, I believe at the end of the day, it's, it's a positive thing and it's going to be a good thing generally with maybe one exception, which I'm going to not mention any names. I don't think that's appropriate, but I am going to mention uh, scenarios and feelings and certain acts and actions. And I'm going to discuss them in terms of like as a student of a club underneath a teacher what is owed to that teacher, if anything, right? Which is certainly a, a slippery slope, but, but what is it, I suppose, that, that could be expected as a student leaves from underneath a teacher? Um, we'll get around to that sooner or later. But uh, for now, the HFA's kind of protocols and protections as it was created the idea is uh, many of us that formed the HFA have, uh, you're going to hear the grandfather clock in the background occasionally. Those of us that left the HFA, we left a situation which was very, uh, very acidic and was one of those things that we wanted to avoid any cult of personalities. We also wanted to avoid having a system which was entirely dependent upon one individual's opinion. So we needed a system that guaranteed some types of protections um, and, and therefore even especially upon leaving, you know, any particular club or group or from underneath one teacher or another needed some protections, needed some guarantees, I suppose. We needed a constitution for lack of a better term. And some of the most important things that came out of that, that need, 
was, number one, as you sign on to an HFA-accredited school, as, as a brand-new scholar, someone who's just coming through that door, you are guaranteed the right to train with whomever you want to train with. So that, that means, so let's say uh, student A is in my club, and I am an established teacher, and student A takes my lessons, but then there's another club across town or something, and they want to go to that club's lessons too. I cannot, as a teacher, and be a part of the HFA, I cannot say to that student, no, I forbid you from going to that other club's instruction. That, that's something that we recognized early on when we built the HFA that we needed to protect students against. And really, there's, there's a lot of reasons to do that. There's a lot of positive reasons to do that um, that I think are self-evident. But one of, one of the things about it that is kind of becoming uh, something that we're having to deal with now and something that we hadn't really thought about was that it really also guarantees the growth of HEMA in general, doesn't it? Because as things become bigger, as, you know, clubs evolve and we're going on, you know, 10, 12, 15, 20 years in, in uh, producing students of HEMA and developing clubs, people are naturally going to break away. They're naturally going to split off. They're naturally going to do things uh, that, you know, don't always conform to the, to the main leader or the uh, origination uh, the original teacher's opinions, and that is, generally speaking, a healthy thing. Now, new paragraph. (laughs) As the teacher, as the provost, as the uh, master of a a school, as uh, someone who has developed high-ranked and uh, high-skilled students... Right, that that now have become onto themselves, you know, authorities and fencing and whatnot. You know, sometimes uh, they get cranky, and sometimes they don't agree always with me, and sometimes they, you know, want to, I don't know, make opinions and comments about lifestyle choices or or you know decisions, etc., personal decisions. You know, they might want to um, go their own way. Now, that, frankly, is hurtful in a way. It's hurtful in a way that can't really be repaired because it has nothing to do with fencing, although sometimes they will seemingly make it about fencing, even though it's not, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. But sometimes they want to, uh, you know, just kind of do their own thing. So let's just assume that these intentions are genuine, and let's just assume for now that they want to break away and form their own club, how, how should that look, I suppose? How should that go down? And there are a lot of other martial arts organizations that regulate this kind of behavior to a very specific uh, standard in many cases. Like I've been perusing some of the different um, bylaws and such that like Krav Maga and Jiu-Jitsu and some other uh, associations and federations use and generally, it seems to be it's a geographical kind of radius. Looks to be about 10 to 15 miles is typical. Sometimes I'm seeing as tight as a like seven mile radius, etc. 
Um, and what it just means is that so if a student leaves a teacher, you know, and they want to be in that same federation or affiliation, then usually there's a geographical space that is given to that original teacher just out of deference. Um, and there are some other things generally put into those contracts. I'm also aware that some martial arts clubs, if the teacher or the leader, the master gives a certification of like a black belt in something or an equivalent rating, then they have them sign non-compete agreements, which gets uh, very technical and very specific. And the reason why that is, uh, from what I'm gleaning anyways, from, from their point of view, is that as a teacher establishes an attempt to run a business, you know, where money is involved and, and money always makes things, you know, more complex and complicated. But honestly, as someone who runs a club and relies upon a certain amount of money to keep things going, right, to keep things lubricated, to keep things growing, you know, pay for land, pay for access to training space, uh, set money aside to build a facility, you know, et cetera, et cetera. These things are things that benefit the students. Do they benefit the teacher? Certainly. But they're done such that they are creating a space, literally, for people to come and train and learn the art. Now, if every time a teacher develops a student of high uh, skill and then that student leaves and begins their own club seven, eight miles away or something, that's going to detract from that, that main teacher's business pool and certainly going to detract from the general overall mission of trying to create a space for people to come and fence. Having known this, uh, going into it, you know, having the foresight to think about these situations ahead of time and, and think, well, you know, if that's going to be the case, in other words, like there is no program that can be made that's going to stop that from happening. It's human nature, especially in martial arts, for students of some skill to develop some kind of desire to branch off, to break off, to open their own school, to do their own thing. You know, having that in the back of my mind as I created or constructed the WHFA, I thought some of the ways in which I could insulate myself from some of these attitudes uh, not bad, don't think negative when I say attitudes, but just, you know, it's just a human nature thing um, in all martial arts from what I'm seeing. Uh, to insulate the business and the club from that a bit, I thought, okay, well, a good way to do that is say, all right, you know, if you want to break off and do your own thing, that's fine. I would prefer, though, if you took the WHFA name and developed your own branch of that, because that way... We could at least share the name, share the, uh, the common um, goal of creating HEMA under that banner, and therefore it would be promotional uh, advent advantage for, for both schools because we could be like, well, there's WHFA fencing. Have you ever heard of that? No, I haven't. You know, tell me about it kind of thing. So the point is you know, developing that name and then working underneath that name would benefit anybody who's practicing HEMA in the uh, Wisconsin area, as we'd all share that common moniker, I suppose. And certainly HFA, I really believe in, in terms of its rank structure and what it can provide to a student, provides a really a lifelong map to a positive and productive HEMA journey 
that produces results. Like we've seen time and time again, somebody who comes into the WHFA and therefore is a member of the HFA looks to that rank structure document and sees clearly laid out and spelled out in, in very specific terms, you know, what is required of them, what, what is their next stage. Now, having said that, you know, I have had a situation in which I had a meeting with one of the students that decided to, to go their own way. And that meeting was very productive and it was very uh, positive. It started out really negative, I think. Not negative, I suppose, but very kind of scary in a way. Uh, as we kind of like aired our garbage and, you know, worked through all the perceptions and the issues that kind of led to this decision. Um, really, there was a, a miscommunication fundamentally at almost a psychological level between us that needed to get resolved. And once that got resolved, we were able to to come together and really work something out that I think is very positive. Um, so I don't want to think, I don't want you to think out there that, like, as I talk about this situation, I'm just, you know, giving this person a hard time because, frankly, um, I, th- I think it went really well and I think it's going to be something that's very beneficial for, for that person as, as a person, as an individual, and also that person as a, uh, as a HEMA practitioner. Um, and it's also going to be good for the WHFA in general because we're going to be able to show a positive direction for this kind of thing versus a negative direction, which I'm going to talk about towards the end of the episode. Um, So this was a positive way forward. Now, I have to give this person credit, though, because it required a face-to-face meeting. There was absolutely no friggin' way that we can talk about these difficult personal issues over text or some kind of email or some kind of phone call. It just does not convey the, uh, the ability to have that communication, that interaction that's just you know, just saturated with so much passion and so much energy and so much, um, I don't know, time, you know, it's like a, it's a relationship, right? It's a, it's a relationship that needs the attention and, and deserves some of that, um, face-to-face communication that is just so necessary to any positive relationship, but I digress. So anyways, that, that turned out well. The reason why it turned out well is because this person, I think, is going to bring something in terms of their particular interests that the general WHFA here, anyways, does not really have. So it's filling one of those gaps that, that has kind of existed for a while. So that's, that's positive. That's good. And this person is leaving with my full blessing, and I'm going to try to help, you know, promote them any way I can. We've agreed upon some basic, you know, business rules as far as, you know, when they're going to run classes versus when the WHFA Appleton is going to run classes. So, like, there's no friction as far as that goes. Um, I also suggested, because this person does have some ties to the Green Bay area, and I suggested that, you know, if this person decides to hold classes in Green Bay then I guarantee he does not need to do any coordination with me whatsoever. That's plenty of geographic distance that I hope a HEMA club, WHFA or not, does develop in Green Bay, and uh, that would be nothing but a positive thing. It's, it's an area, I think, that's ready to be tapped for that, for that ability. Like, I think there's a ton of people there in the Green Bay area that have either come through my doors or have contacted me, but just the the distance, you know, it's uh, about 
35, 40 miles away. And, you know, so it's about 35, 40 minutes on the highway. And it's just one of those things where it's just far enough that it's kind of inconvenient. You know, the Oshkosh area around here is about 25 minutes or so by highway, and it's not so bad. But uh, so anyways, so geographic uh, location can be a big part of this. Now, so just to recap, the HFA protections, and I've written myself some notes because obviously this is a very uh, touchy subject for me. It's, a, it's an area that's uh, difficult for me. I don't like losing anybody. I want everybody to fence under the WHFA banner. You know, I don't want anyone to leave ever for any reason, um, especially not some kind of personal reasons or whatever. I think that's just kind of silly. And even though I have to pay attention to it, right, so I'm not trying to dismiss it, but it also is one of those things where this this WHFA club, especially the one in Appleton, the largest one, the one many of you people see, you know, in terms of the, the Facebook feeds and some of the activities and whatnot, um, not saying the others are not big, you know, they're also pretty big on their own right, but, you know, Appleton is, is pretty engaged. I have about 46 paying members now at this point. Uh, we're growing again. There's another batch of, of brand new people that are coming in, about eight of them, so that, you know, we keep on, we kept on growing. What's funny to me anyways, is from a business standpoint, as a sidebar, is that I keep seeing this club grow to about 40, and then I'll have like six or seven people kind of like leave, you know, and then it'll grow again to about 45 or so. And then like four or five more people will grow or will leave, you know, and then back and forth. So we always hover like right around like the 45 mark as far as people goes. And it's, it's fascinating to me that that's the case. And I wonder if there's something that I'm doing or not doing that is affecting that. Certainly having an indoor training location that's the same location same classes every single you know night of the week etc would would probably impact that greatly having children's classes you know etc etc all that would make an impact but um it's it's kind of curious i as i look back on the years when we started to grow um i've always kind of had these benchmarks of hovering around these certain key numbers which is i don't know just a curious statistic to me but I digress. Anyways, uh, so the the HFA protections. Yeah, you walk through that door, um, you are guaranteed that. Also, uh, your rank, whatever you earn in the HFA, cannot be rescinded. Uh, we ran into that, too, in our previous uh, situation with a different HEMA club where the uh, individual in charge would just randomly revoke ranks for whatever reason. And um, this is not something that should be acceptable in HEMA. You know, if you put in five, six years, you know, two years, one year, whatever, whatever you put in and you earn a rank, you know, the, the leader, the master, the provost should not be able to revoke that for some reason, um, whatever that reason might be. I really can't think of a particular reason where it would be acceptable unless it's maybe some kind of heinous criminal act uh, like I am aware that uh, there was a uh, guy who had, I think he either lied on his background or a background was never done on him. Uh, not in my club or not in any other club of Wisconsin or an HFA club for that matter, but this was back in the previous organization and that individual was found to be a convicted pedophile. Um, so something like that where, you know, a serious felony had occurred or something. Then in those cases, I think, 
it would be appropriate. However, we currently don't have a mechanism in the HFA to do something like that. So even if somebody was a felon um, or somebody that, you know, was was like a danger to kids or something or other, like we, we don't have anything in place to to deal with that at this point as far as like revoking somebody's rank. We certainly could just excuse them from any individual clubs and not let them train, but um, that's kind of a separate matter. The point is you earn that rank. No one's going to be able to take it away from you based on their opinion of you as a person or some other ancillary thing. Um, and lastly, on this on this bit, as far as like guarantees, you know, it's it's kind of a, how that local club is run. Each WHFA chapter, each HFA club, is run differently, um, and that's by design. You know, there's no overarching, uh, you know, um, directives as far as how you're to practice or when you're to practice or what you're to teach or how you know what people can be part of the club or can't be the club. My personal philosophy here in WHFA Appleton is that I accept everybody, you know, whether you're left, right, center, up, down, square, triangle, round, you know, gay, straight, bi, trans, um, you know, lesbian, whatever. It does not matter. Your personal life is your own, right? Divorced, single, married, right? None of that stuff. Dating somebody within the club, not dating somebody within the club, that that is not the business of the fencing club, right? And it has nothing to do with fencing. It could become a problem if it keeps infecting or or causing issues in in the club itself with people, you know. That that's a different matter. But none of that stuff to me anyways as the leader is is any of the fencing club's business. We're here to fence, you know, and I don't want to hear about personal drama or, you know, who's kissing whom for what reason. I do not care. It, it needs to stay out of fencing. It's, it's not good for fencing. You know, this is an adult club for members who are adults. Adults can have consensual relationships of any type they feel they want, you know. So... I know some of you are, have become aware of some issues here involving my personal relationships, which are over and done with and have nothing to do with you. So mind your own business. Now, having said that, it's another thing altogether. If there's somebody of power in a club that's abusing their power in order to have access you know, to students for abuse, and that's entirely different. That is not a situation that would be allowed to happen here in the WHFA or any HFA club that I'm familiar with, right? If that was to happen, there would be, there would be action taken immediately. What kind of action? Whatever is necessary, you know? Whatever is necessary. Legal, right? Civil, whatever. Whatever we have to do. But... Somebody who's an abusive individual and has shown an abusive record abusing students would would not be allowed to stand. And myself and the other provosts and people of leadership in the HFA would make sure that that is dealt with appropriately. And frankly, you know, I'm, I'm glad in the HEMA community people have started to call out other 
instructors and stuff to say, hey, you know, I had this interaction with him or I had this interaction with her and this was inappropriate and that was inappropriate. And, you know, that's healthy. It's healthy to talk about. People say, oh, yeah, what about court of public opinion? Well, guess what? You know, all all this is the court of public opinion. And, yeah, you can't go around and talk about your genitalia in seminars and, you know, approach strange women you don't know and ask them for sex and uh, beat up people and, you know, this this kind of behavior. You know, this kind of stuff sometimes just gets branded under, like, political views and really it's just decency. Like, have some decency, you know. I've seen plenty of relationships work out in HEMA and be great and healthy and beneficial and, and wonderful. And I've seen plenty go sour. And if you're one of those people that have one that goes sour, then I feel for you. You know, I'm, I don't know what to say other than like, it's, it's terrible. It's a bummer. Um, do your best to get through it with some kind of dignity. You know, I've had interactions that had everything just to do with fencing. And then all of a sudden I'm in conversations about personal crap. And I'm like, you know, I'm just, I just want to talk about fencing. <laughs> I don't need you to tell me about my dating life or about my anything. Like, all, all I need you to do is let's talk about this technique or that technique. I don't know why that's so hard, you know. I had one person uh, in an exchange like this tell me uh, on an exchange that I have documented that, uh, quote, no one respects you around here, quote. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. But based on what? Like, I've never met this person really, or if I had met them, it was very short interactions. I certainly never fenced with them to any great degree. Um, and I'm left to wonder, like, who are you to make an assessment of that nature? You know, you don't even know me. And you're telling me this based on some opinion you might have formed back when I was in Arma or something. Like, it just, I'm like, you know, people grow, people change. Or sometimes people are, are mis- mislabeled or not known at all. You have no idea like what happened to me back then or why or who I was. You never met me, you know? So shame on you. Now that always leaves me with a question. Once I do meet that person or I get a chance to fence them, how do you handle that situation? <laughs> I have held myself back in many cases, and you know, many, many people don't think this, but it's true. I have held myself back in many, in many engagements because I did not want to upset a situation in which I knew or I was aware of this person having a certain viewpoint about me. And I didn't want to tee off on them or, and you should never, right? But the point is, is I guess it's a psychological thing that's in the back of your mind as you're having a fencing engagement with a person as far as what they think about you because they don't trust you, they don't like you, you gotta, you know, you gotta think about that. You gotta be careful because, you know, a little mistake or just a perception of too hard of a blow or something and then they're, you know, taking the internet and calling you a thug. So, you know, is that my fault? Not really, you know, I understand that. There's not much I can do about that. But honestly, I'm a, I'm a sensitive individual and that, that stuff kind of bothers me. I sometimes don't know what to do with it. And frankly, all instructors are probably much more sensitive than people realize. You know, we're all putting ourselves out there in a way that's somewhat uncomfortable because we're all representing some kind of 
some kind of standard. And now with that, I want to get into the negative things that students can do when they leave sometimes. So in martial arts, students have sometimes inevitably this feeling of you are this like moral high point, right? You're like the master on the hill, you know, the the all-knowing person who's going to dispense knowledge about life and about, you know, morality and all this kind of stuff because you have this certain set of skills or you know how to fence or you have some people that, that follow you or that are part of your club. Therefore, you must be somebody who's, who's morally upright and superior. And frankly, you know, this is complete garbage. It's complete garbage because that, that student has placed that master in an almost impossible position because now what happens is any mistake that that master might make, any, you know, any personal issues, any problems, any struggles, anything that the student then becomes aware of, because the master allows them to become aware of it or because the master feels like, you know, they want to have some kind of relationship with a student beyond just fencing or whatever. And I'm not talking about a personal relationship. I'm just talking about like a friendship, right? Then what happens is there's an erosion. There's an erosion of respect that occurs because, you know, some of these students place these instructors on these pedestals. And as the erosion happens the student can really grab onto these elements that have really nothing to do with fencing or the lessons, and they can seemingly just chew on them to such a point where they become like way bigger than, than what the actuality is. This kind of stuff can be very problematic, and it can ruin a lot of friendships. And it can ruin a lot of fencing relationships that otherwise would be very positive. What I notice in students when this stuff starts to happen is that they, they will become aware of the, the master holding back in certain scenarios and then not holding back in others. And what I mean by that is every teacher, as they teach people fencing, knows that they have to restrict themselves a bit as they fence because you're, you're coaching somebody, you're carrying somebody, you're pulling somebody forward and developing their confidence and skill. If you as a teacher go out there and just hammer the crap out of your students every single moment, then <laughs> there's a lack of confidence that's developed. and it, it acts in the reverse. However, if the teacher or master always holds back, regardless of the skill or confidence that's developed in the student, then another negative byproduct can result. And that is a student's overestimation of their skills and an overconfidence in, in what they're capable of. I've had a situation in which a very talented, very gifted student who had his significant other was also a very talented, very gifted student. And what they become aware of is a certain change in the way in which I, the master, the the provost, the teacher, has to fence them. Because what happens is they get better, right? And as they get better, I need to do things differently. As I do things differently, 
they have the assumption or the perception that I'm being brutal or I'm hitting too hard or I'm doing things too fast or I haven't explained it enough or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And even though it's pointed out that, well, this, this might be hard, this might be fast, this might not be explained completely, you are to the level where this stuff should start becoming self-evident to you based on your skill, based on your confidence, based on all the things you've done already. And what I start seeing in some students that accept this and move on with it is that they just kind of shrug it off just like all of us do and be like, oh, yep, you're right, okay, or whatever. Or, yep, that makes sense, and now it's time for me to pick it up again too. I need to get faster. I need to get quicker. You know, I need to research more on my own. In students that take it negatively, what's happened is they use it as this moral background for you. Like you're a hypocrite or you um, don't know what you're doing or you are confused or there's a mixed message being sent. Well, the, mis- the mixed message is because we have a mixed pool of students at different skill sets. And I'm using my ability and my experience to, to work with some and then using that same ability and experience to work with others in different ways. It's not consistent. They should not watch, like students in general should not watch a teacher with a student and make some kind of overall assumptions about that teacher's abilities or skills. What they should understand is that teacher is trying to match up that skill level such that they are bringing that student forward, not repressing them and holding them down, right? But pulling them forward, pulling them into that area that they're a little bit uncomfortable with to build that confidence and build that skill. And that's really what it's about. You know, I made a comment to students like I'm talking about right now that started developing this this feeling about me that, look, you know, I have to be allowed to excel sometimes too. In other words, with senior students that have developed that skill set and that confidence, I got to be able to go faster. Right? Otherwise, I'm not... I'm not growing you either, right? I'm not challenging myself and growing, and I'm also not pulling you forward in a better way. And so this kind of arrangement is something that is is a very it's a very dubious thing. It's it's a thing that that is very uh difficult. It's it's a it's an art in itself. You can pull too hard and get resistance which I've experienced with some students. You can pull not at all and then lose, lose their interest entirely, which I've had before. Or you can kind of try and play it on the fly, which is what I've found to be the best indicator. Sometime that, that skilled student might just not feel it that day. And then it's not, probably not a good day to beat the crap out of them, right? Maybe it's a day to say like, hey man, you know, you're kind of sucking wind today. What's going on? And have a conversation, but... Um, you know, just beating the crap out of them is not always the answer either. Yet, I will say, with one senior student, and I just could not even believe this, but after a while I got to know, like, more about it. But one senior student who's coming in and hitting people pretty hard and, you know, doing things pretty fast. And then I come up there and I'm like, all right, I think, you know, this person's ready for, for some action, right? And I 
charge myself up a bit and I come at him and hit him. And what happens? But he immediately turns and goes to tell on me, right? Goes to tell this other student that is in the club with him. That's his significant other. Goes to tattle on me. And I'm like, you know, that's inappropriate. It's inappropriate because what, what you're doing is you're just reinforcing this idea that, that I should not be allowed to try hard. That, that you get to be the, the king and that, you know, every, everyone else needs to just understand that, that you're going to be allowed to do whatever you want. And you're developing this, this feeling that, you know, you two are in command now. You two are in control. That's not going to happen in WHFA Appleton. Not ever. And needless to say, you know, that, that relationship didn't go much further than those things. I even tried to make an admission that, you know what, that was a hard strike. You know, I thought to myself, I should admit that that was a hard strike and see what happens, see how that's handled. So at a later dinner, I said, you know what, that was a hard hit. And I'm sorry that I hit you hard. Just to see what kind of, what kind of feeling that would develop. And it developed a feeling of, of almost like reinforcement that they're going to be in control and that I am clearly out of control. So that I feel was a mistake. Instead, what I should have said is, you know what? I did hit you hard and you can handle that and you need to defend yourself better and you need to understand that you are hitting hard too. So therefore, when you hit hard, other people are allowed to hit hard too, especially your teacher, especially your instructor especially somebody who is capable of that kind of action. And now you are too. So now there's new territory here that could be explored. There's new ground. We're both now pushing each other into new territory. And that needs to be recognized. And therefore, that is really the loss, you know. And that's, that's the thing I feel always, is when a student like that or students of that nature leave... Uh, and they make it, they want to try and, you know, cloak it and clothe it in the guise of some kind of personal issues or personal problems. It's really not about that. It's, it's usually all about this process of the teacher pulling them, developing that confidence. And then once that confidence, once that skill is gained, the teacher now sees, okay, now we can both push each other into new territory and begins that process there's usually a, a giant pushback to it, and that's got to be addressed. So in any of you out there that's developing students to that level, maybe you could comment on uh, some kind of on some kind of post or something or some discuss it somehow amongst yourselves or whatever, make it known that that key moment in time is where there needs to be a more level playing field, like, okay, you know what, good job, man. Like, we're on the same level now. You know, regardless of rank, your skills have matched mine. Now let's push each other, man. Let's, you know, let's, let's go forward. Let's, let's really hammer this stuff, you know. That's really what we're all after in a way, isn't it? Anyway, um, now there's, a, there's another situation that actually I'm going to save for a next podcast because, frankly, I've brought up a lot of points now at this point, and I want to make sure it remains as best I can, even though like people close to the situation will know about it. But 
trying to not bring up certain persons or certain situations which will become immediately apparent. But uh, the other thing is, there's another situation that sometimes goes on where the student leaves and leaves in such a way that, that seemingly is positive at the front end, but then they do all sorts of underhanded things behind your back, like they contact people and, and um, you know, disparage you and, and talk about your training and, you know, this kind of stuff. They do it in such a way that's positive on the face of it, but on the back end of it, there's all sorts of underhanded nonsense going on that's, that's very cowardly. And despite all attempts to try and make some kind of face-to-face contact, all of this is ignored and, in fact, thrown back in the person's face. And um, it's something that's, that's extremely uncomfortable. And psychologically, I think it has a lot to do with different personality types that men can, can have, um, which you can research on your own. There's like the alpha, beta you know, different types of personality types and those that get together and those that, that don't get along, um, whether you believe in this or not, um, I have seen it kind of play out quite a bit, not only in military and policing, but also in fencing. And it's something to, to pay attention to a little bit as a guide in a way. But this is kind of going on too now so with this third individual. And I'm, I'm not going to talk about it now. I'm going to save it for another podcast. But as a teacher, you become aware of these rumors and these innuendos and these things that are going on kind of behind your back. And it, it's hurtful. Uh, but at the same time, I guess the teacher needs to understand that this, this individual is hurting, I think, and is also maybe feels uh, overwhelmed. Um, so with that in mind... Uh, there needs to almost be like a cooling off period. And frankly, I'm not the personality type that handles that well. Like I want to solve the issue, get on top of it, um, have face-to-face, have some kind of dialogue, you know, have the fight, get the fight over with, and then, you know, move on. Um, But I do recognize that some space needs to be had before something like that could happen. So those are the thoughts I'm going to leave you with now and talk about it in another podcast. Again, working hard not to name names. So if some of you are listening to this and are close to the situation, I do not want names discussed. I want it to remain as as just general discussions about situations versus names. And, um, you know, the WHFA is going through some growing pains. Um, It's one of those things where I look at it as Anything that spins off, like, you know, students leave and do their own thing, I view that as generally as a positive thing. It's a win, really, for HEMA in general because they're going to establish their own way. That way is probably going to be different from the way in which I've started. And I'm proud of them. But at the same time, it does hurt, you know, in a way because I tend to view it as a loss um, even though it's not. It's a gain. Um, it's just when you're invested so heavily in personally building stuff, looking to build infrastructure and uh, attempt to provide place, you know, it can be kind of a kind of a difficult thing. But, hey, that's what it's about, growing, right? Growth. HEMA becoming more uh, on the front end versus some kind of little secret society that, that has been hidden, right? 
So thank you. All Things HEMA is back. I'll be back with another episode shortly. That'll be episode 19. Um, And I hope this discussion has given you something. For episode 19, I'm probably going to have a guest. I think I'm going to try and get Larry Brummond in again. He's been a very interesting individual to to bounce some of this stuff off of. He's, um, you know, quite spiritual and... um, you know, he's he's quite knowledgeable and, and wise, and I like to discuss this stuff with him. So it'll be a good discussion um, and more on this topic. This has been kind of a shotgun approach, but it's a shotgun issue. It's kind of all over the place. I'm just glad to be back to it. My audio should be better. I'm, I've got another microphone on order. The other one was lost somehow. And um, so hopefully that'll be back. All right, thank you. Have a good day. Keep at it, folks.